You know, I've just got to say I love the theme for Shine this year. The theme is whatever. And I love the theme. But apparently not everyone in the world is enamored with the word whatever. Because you may or may not know for the ninth consecutive year, the word whatever has been voted the most annoying word or phrase in our culture. And the truth is it hasn't even been close. While the gap seems to be narrowing a little bit, whatever has won by a pretty large margin all nine of those years. It seems that it is a very annoying word to people in our culture. At a distant second is the phrase fake news, followed closely by no offense but 11% of Americans believe that the word literally is the most grating on their nerves while 10% say that the phrase, you know what I mean, is the most agitating. What's also interesting is that when you look at the poll data, the annoying words are different depending on the age group. For instance, among those under 30, the most irritating phrase is, I can't even. Now, when you get into the ages of 30 to 44, they can't even with the word whatever. Whatever is their most annoying word. Do you think that's because that age group likely has teenagers that use that word quite a bit? Do you think that might have something to do with it? Whatever is an annoying word to many people in our culture, but nevertheless, many people use it anyway. If you really want to offend a large portion of our society, here's what you do. You say, no offense, but there is literally nothing worse than all the fake news or whatever out there. You know what I mean? That should probably... That should probably do the trick. That would successfully get under people's skin. But you know, the Apostle Paul used the word whatever several times in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 8, which is where you guys got your theme for this year. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, Dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of all peace will be with you. Now, the very fact that Paul uses the word finally to start off this thought tells us something, right? It tells us that he's tying something together from what he has said before. And so there's a list of advisements or some things that he wanted his audience to know. And he comes to this point in verse 8 and he says, finally, brethren. In fact, if you go all the way back to the very beginning of this letter to the Philippians, you find the bigger picture that Paul is trying to get his readers to see. This letter was written while Paul was in prison. And a common theme for Paul was encouragement for the brethren to live out their baptism. You see that over and over again in his letters. He tells them, remember your baptism, live out your baptism. As you've heard me say over and over again, you are never finished obeying the gospel. And that is what Paul is driving at here. Remember your baptism, live it out. You're still obeying the gospel as a new creature in Christ. Paul is constantly making this point. And consider some key verses from Philippians, verse uh, 6 in, in chapter 1. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
uh, chapter 2, verse 5 and following, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. You look at chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And then you go to chapter 4. After what we just read, verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along in humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think it's safe to say that one of the major themes for Paul in the book of Philippians is very simply, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus, whatever. Whatever it takes, be like Jesus. Live out your baptism. You're never done obeying the gospel. The goal or the pursuit that Paul is describing here is one that landed him in prison. The fact that he was striving to be like Jesus and teach others how to be like Jesus is what really landed him in prison. But it's okay because he has learned the secret of being content that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, that whatever happens to him, no matter how much punishment he may endure, he is going to have his final reward. Paul is encouraging the Christians to seek a deeper life in Christ, and that's what we're encouraging you to do this week. Seek a deeper Christ, uh, life in Christ. You know, that's, that's somewhat easy to do when you're here. It's easy to do when you're at a church camp or when you're at church because typically you're surrounded by like-minded individuals. Where it gets more difficult is when you return back home to your regular routine or, or back to school and to continue obeying the gospel and living out your baptism gets a little more difficult. The truth is, reality and what is ideal often clash. Ideally, we know what we're supposed to do. All of us here know what we're supposed to do in our daily walk with God. But then there's the reality that we don't always do that. And you know what, what causes that? You know what gets in the way? Life. I mean, that's what it is. Life is constantly pulling at us, trying to get us to change our priorities or mix them up or, or, or do things differently. And so it's a constant struggle. It's a constant tug of war. You've heard the saying, the devil is in the details, and often that is true. It's the details in life that we've got to shore up if we want to be successful in being like Jesus and pursuing the right goal. And you know where those details start? You go back to Philippians 4 and verse 8. You know where those details start? They start in the mind. The mind is where it all starts. How many of you know what GIGO is? You ever heard of G-I-G-O, GIGO? GIGO simply means this. Garbage in, garbage out. You know, before computers were as mainstream as they are now, the engineers and those that were that were uh, producing these computers and programming them realized very quickly that a computer and its output is only as good as its input so whatever the programmer puts in is going to affect what goes out and so they came up with this acronym GIGO garbage in garbage out and you know we see that in the world as well don't we we see that with us 
If garbage is what we put in, garbage is what's going to come out. I mean, Jesus referenced this, didn't he? In Matthew 12, 34, when he, when he said, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Garbage in, garbage out. And it's the same sentiment that Paul is referring to in Philippians 4 and 8. Garbage in, garbage out. Good things in, good things out. Honorable things in, honorable things out. Right things in, right things out. Pure things in, pure things out. You get the picture. The basic premise is one that, that plays out in people's lives all the time. Whatever they put in is what's going to come out. If you don't take control of your thought life, you have absolutely no hope of succeeding spiritually. Paul stated this in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know, it's been said that the average human has 10,000 thoughts a day. I don't know if that's true, but that's what's been said. Now, I, I'm not real good at math, but I think that equates to about 3.5 million thoughts a year. And you think about that. You think about how many thoughts that we have, how many thoughts that you will continue to have. You'll have hundreds of more thoughts, maybe even thousands of more thoughts before this day is over. And do you know what each one of those thoughts represents? It represents a choice. Every one of those thoughts represents a decision. And we make all sorts of decisions, don't we? And included in those decisions are what we're going to put in and thus what we're going to put out, right? Garbage in, garbage out. It's interesting how we can spend so much time making decisions about things that, that don't really matter, and yet we don't tend to focus as we should on the things that really do matter. I mean, think about those 10,000 thoughts. Think, think if that represented $10,000. And somebody gave you $10,000 and said, you know, Shay, you've got all day to spend $10,000. You can spend it any way you want. you just got to spend it all in one day. What are you going to do? You're probably going to sit down, you're probably going to evaluate what you're going to spend that on to make the most use of it, right? You think about how much time is spent on things that are peripheral, things that, that don't matter, or maybe that do matter, but not in a spiritual sense like they should. And yet we spend so little time on how we make our decisions and what goes into a, a, a making those decisions. And so the question becomes, how do we change our mind? Again, there's ideal and then there's real. And so in a very practical way, how do we change our mind? How do we, think, how, do we, how do we change our thinking so that we can be transformed in mind? You know, Paul said in Romans 12 too, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we do that? How do we change our mind? Well, I'm going to give you some things, and if you brought something to write with, that's really great. You, you actually start off with an A. If you didn't, and you've got a really good memory, that's good. You can put it on your phone, or maybe you can just write it on your arm. That'd be good, too. Just don't shower all week until you can write it down, okay? So, practical ways in which we can change our mind. Number one, evaluate your input. Again, this goes back to what I said a moment ago. Giggo. Garbage in, garbage out. What are you listening to? What are you listening to? What are you watching what is going in? And this is the point where you probably say, oh, okay, we've got the stuffy preacher who's going to tell me that I don't need to listen to this kind of music, and I don't need to watch this certain TV show or movie, and I need to delete Snapchat from my phone, and okay, we get it. I've heard this all before. But listen, folks, I'm telling you, if you don't get control of your thoughts and what goes in, you're not going to be able to control what goes out. You know, 
in this day and age, you are being bombarded with so much that it's very easy to input things that will not help you in one sense at all, in, in a spiritual sense, and then in fact will harm you drastically. What we fill our minds with will have a direct effect on our spiritual livelihood. Don't spend an hour or two a week at church thinking about spiritual things and then 40 hours a week out in the world filling your minds with garbage. Garbage in, garbage out. Consider your input. Consider what's coming out as well and then make the necessary adjustments. The second thing is be stubborn. Be stubborn. Many times in dealing with sin, we don't refuse it. We don't say a firm no when it comes to the devil tempting us. We feel like that we can dip our toe in the pool of sin or that we can wander and meander around it and not be affected by it. And such is not the case. Sometimes we give a maybe, and the devil can work with maybe. Not long ago, a salesman came to my door and wanted to sell us a steam cleaner, a carpet shampooer. And this young lady volunteered to uh, shampoo two rooms in our house for free just to show us how well it works. Sure, we'll let you do that. We were going to shampoo our carpets anyway. We'll let you do it for free. And so she gets done, and she leaves, and in comes the closer, this guy that comes in and really lays it on thick, how you absolutely have to have this $3,000 machine. Well, I wasn't in the room, but I could kind of hear what's going on, and my wife is dealing with him, and he's getting pretty frustrated because she is just denying him at every turn. And you can tell he's getting frustrated. And finally, he comes back after two or three times. He comes back this last time. Okay, I'm going to take a loss here, but I'll give it to you for $250. Wow. Three thousand to two fifty, right? And my wife finally said, "You'll just have to deal with my husband." And so I come in the room and I walk in and he starts in. I said, "I'm going to stop you right there. No, you need to leave." Now, he didn't like that. But how do you how do you respond to that? I mean, you know, you got to leave, right? I mean, it's it's no. You can stay, but I'm going to call the police. You're going to get out of here. There is no maybe. There is no we're going to think about it. No, we don't want this thing. Get out of here. And that's what we got to do with the devil. No. There is no maybe. There is no, I'll think about it. There is no pondering it. You draw a hard line in the sand and you're stubborn about it. And you say, not for any reason will I overstep this line. Absolutely not. Third thing, make up your mind ahead of time. You know, when it comes to sin, it is most often the prior thought that should receive the blame for the act. What we think about, what we allow our minds to dwell upon, more than anything else, determines how strong we are. The idea that we can think impure thoughts just as long as we don't act on them is a myth. That's not true. We need to draw a line in the sand, as I said, and say, I will not go past this point no matter what. We must put our spiritual integrity ahead of those, ahead of those things that have the potential to cause us harm. Remember Daniel? When Daniel was in his teens, he was deported from Jerusalem to a court of a foreign king. He knew he was in trouble because some of their customs and some of their practices, including the food that they ate, were not on God's menu for Daniel. He knew that there was going to be a showdown. But before he faced the demands of the king, he decided that he was not 
under any circumstances going to partake. Notice what Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 states. It says, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. The Hebrew word made up his mind there is a term that is also used to describe the making of a rope. A rope maker would gather all the fibers that he had collected and he would twist them together to make a strong cord that was very difficult to break. And that is precisely what Daniel did when he faced the temptation from Nebuchadnezzar's court. He gathered every bit of wisdom, every bit of reason, every bit of conviction and courage, and he made a determined decision. Though it could have cost him his life, he would not give in. So be stubborn. Make up your mind ahead of time. Not to give in or not to compromise your faith. And I would say, change your diet. You know, I have a problem. I eat way too much. You probably couldn't tell by looking at me, but I eat way too much. And I'm not talking about physical food. I'm talking about scrolling through my Twitter feed, looking at Facebook posts, looking at Instagram. Over and over again, hundreds of times a day, I look on there to see what's going on. And I sometimes stop myself and go, what am I doing? I could be reading the Bible right now, and I'll, I'll pull up my Bible app, and I'll read my Bible, feel good about myself for a little while, and then I go back to doing it again. You fall into that trap? Why do we do that? Why do we fill our minds with stuff that many times is just junk? I'm not saying that you have to live off the grid and that you can never get on your phone or never get on the Internet, but why do we always fill our minds with things that truly are not productive or don't matter? I think it's the same reason why we eat food that's unhealthy, because it tastes better, right? I mean, given the choice between a Snickers and a turnip, what are you going to pick? Maybe that's not a good comparison because nobody likes turnips. How about broccoli or cotton candy, right? I mean, what tastes better? What would you prefer, right? It's the junk food that tastes good. And that's the allure from our society. That's the things out there that are demanding your attention. Do you think that the advertisers know that? They're constantly trying to pull you in. And they don't care what your, what your spiritual background is. They don't care what your age is. They don't care to expose you to things that you absolutely should not see with your eyes. They just want to get you to look. And so many times we, we eat it up. We are putting things in. We are eating up things that are terrible for us. And whether you believe it or not, it's affecting you. It always will. You know, when my dad had his first heart attack, he had a 99% blockage in the Widowmaker, that main artery. And they told him he should have died. And so he has a stent put in. He actually had two or three stents put in, but that was the main one. And they sent him home. And I went down there to visit him, and he said, uh, you want to go get something to eat? That's what my dad always wants to do when I come down. You want to go get something to eat? So we went to Grecian Steakhouse, which is a really good place to get unhealthy food and to eat well. And so we go to Grecian Steakhouse, and I, I, I didn't want to make my dad feel bad, so I got a baked potato. I got some salad, healthy stuff, rabbit food, right? My dad orders a chicken fried steak smothered in gravy with French fries and a Pepsi. And I said, Dad, what, what are you doing? And my dad's reasoning was this. I'm 65, 
It took me 65 years to get to this point where I needed a stint. I figure if it takes another 65 to need another stint, I'm good because I'll be dead by then. And I said, that's not the way this works. I don't think you understand. And to this day, he still doesn't eat right. We've got to be careful about what we put into our bodies. Not just physically, but from the other things as well. From a spiritual standpoint, you've got to guard your mind. Because that's where actions begin. As part of the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, the Bible may not seem all that tasty to you right now. I mean, reading through Leviticus may equate to eating turnips, but it's all good, and it's good for you. And it's the better diet plan. And we've got to fill our hearts and our minds with the things that will make us better and more spiritual. You cannot be healthy if all you take in is junk food. It's not to say that you can't partake of some things that, you know, like I said, you don't have to, you know, get off the grid and get off the internet, but you can't just live off those things either. It's not healthy. Feast on God's Word. Memorize Scripture. Underline. Highlight in your Bible. Read phrases in your Bible and, and, and go to find out what they mean. Ask your parents. Go to a commentary. You know, look them up. Talk about what you've studied with your family and your friends. Don't just read it. Read it with a purpose. Read it with intent. Read it with the goal of application in mind. Asking yourself, as we've talked about over and over again in our series on Sunday morning, what is God trying to say? Not what do I want God to say, but what is God trying to say to me? Then seek to fill your life with his words. Don't settle for junk food. If you want to change your mind, then you've got to feed it. And you've got to feed it with a steady diet of soul food. And the last thing that I would say is consider your company. And this is something that I have to counsel adults with. When they're dealing with an addiction, many times it's the company that they keep that's feeding that addiction. And many times I have to tell them, you know, it may not be what you want to hear, but you may need to change your environment. These so-called friends of yours are not helping you. They're only pulling you back. doesn't mean that they don't care about you or maybe even love you, but, you know, when somebody's trapped in misery, they like as many people in prison with them as possible. And sometimes as Christians, we think, well, I'll affect them. I'll influence them. It's okay if I hang around them. And that's a noble effort, but so often it backfires. So often who you keep company with affects you, and that influence rubs off at some point. And so if they're angry all the time, you tend to get angry. If they're negative all the time, you tend to get negative. If they cuss and carry on, you tend to do the same thing. We've got to be careful about the friends that we choose and the environment that we, that we partake in. You see, too many Christians have not considered the company that they keep and how it's in enabling them to stay in a state that is unspiritual. If you don't consider your actions in light of your friends, then you're going to have a tough time in life. Consider the company that you keep. Be the influence. You lead the way. You show others what a transformed life looks like. And if your friends won't follow suit, then consider maybe what it means to change your environment and change your friends. You know, several years ago, there was a story that the news media picked up about a lady that they dubbed Garbage Mary. Garbage Mary, everyone thought, was homeless. She was 
always seen rummaging through trash bins and trash heaps. She was very unkept, wearing tattered clothes. They assumed she just lived on the streets. One day, a police officer had contact with her and assumed that she was crazy, and it took her to a psychiatric hospital for evaluation. They did some digging and learned that she had an apartment. They went to her apartment and found that she had like a million dollars. Her dad was a wealthy Illinois lawyer that passed away and left her a lot of money, a million dollars or more. You think about that story and you think, you know, how could someone who had a million dollars be digging through the trash all day every day? But isn't that kind of an apt description of some Christians? That we have, we have been saved from our sins. We have eternal life through Jesus Christ. But yet, so many of us are immersing our thought lives in things that are not pure, not lovely, not virtuous. And we surround ourselves with garbage. An older Indian man was explaining to a missionary about the battle that goes on inside of him. And he said this, he said, this battle was like a black dog fighting a white dog. And the missionary asked him, well, which one is winning? The man said, the one I feed the most. And the same can be said for us. What you feed your mind with is going to determine who's going to win. And if you supply it with garbage, then that's what's going to come out. That's what's going to win. Garbage in, garbage out. Look, everything that I've said tonight, you may be thinking to yourself, yeah, whatever. Let's get on with it. Let's get back to doing our activities. Let's get the camp started. Maybe whatever I've said to you tonight is, is something that will grab hold later on in life. Maybe years from now you'll have kids and you'll think about this lesson and you won't remember much of it, but maybe you'll remember something about Chris talking about garbage in, garbage out. Or maybe, no, maybe, maybe it is making an impact with you. Maybe, maybe you're thinking about it and it's, you're mulling it over, but here's the deal. Whatever your thoughts are on the lesson tonight, everything that I said tonight is absolutely true. It is. And I know that because the Bible teaches it and because I've lived it. I didn't grow up in the church. And I allowed garbage to surround me for many years of my life. Until one day I decided to change that. And all the things that I've talked to you about tonight are the things that I've had to do and continue to have to do in order to change. So take it from me. This is not a guy who's lived a squeaky clean life all his life and been drugged to church all of his life, not at all. I don't want to see you make decisions that will affect you the rest of your life that could have been changed early on. It begins in the mind. Take care of the details. And I believe the rest will fall into place. And remember this. Write this down. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. Does that give you a brain freeze? You are not what you think you are, but what you think you most definitely are. Remember that. Get control of your thought life. Don't allow the devil to have control of your mind. And let your thought life control every other aspect. I'm glad you're here. It's going to be a great week. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these young ladies for what they mean to you and what they mean to the church.
We always talk about our young people being the future of the church. They're not the future of the church. They are the church right here, right now. And we are grateful for what they contribute. And we pray that these young ladies will have a great experience this week at camp and they will leave here on fire for you and ready to change the world. Help us, God, to mentor them, to teach them, to show them the way. Help us, God, to to be a shining example to all those around us, not just here, but to those in our community who don't know much about you. Help us to get control of our thought life and, and help it to affect the rest of us. Help us to dwell on only those things that make for a spiritually healthy life. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. If you have a need tonight that we can help you with, please come now as Caleb leads us in a song.